When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan. Welcome to our Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We've got two segments for you. We kick it off with Scott, Mary Kay, and I digesting what we heard from Kevin Stefanski when he spoke to us on Tuesday. We talked through some of the things he had to say, so that's in the first part of the podcast. And then in the second part of the podcast, Tim Bielek joins us as he does every Wednesday to talk draft. We get into how the J.J. Watt decision might impact the Browns at number 26. And then we get into the AFC North. We take a look at what the other three teams in the AFC North might prioritize early in the draft. Of course, I'll tell you about Football Insider here. If you want to get an exclusive newsletter every single day, access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash browns, and get involved in our texting service, you got to check out Football Insider. It's at cleveland.com slash browns. Click on the blue banner at the top of the page. All right, on to our Wednesday podcast. And away we go here on our Wednesday podcast, Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot and Scott Patsko. We are recording this uh, probably about 20 minutes after we wrapped up with Kevin Stefanski. So we're going to throw out some takeaways from what we heard from the always forthcoming head coach of the Cleveland Browns. He, as always, did not give us much, but let's do this. Let's each throw out a takeaway. And then we got a couple other extras at the end that I, that I think we want to get into. But Mary Kay, what was your kind of big takeaway from what Kevin Stefanski talked about today? You know, I think the the overarching issue, the, the overarching thing here is the fact that uh, he does not want these guys to feel like they've arrived anywhere. Look, they went 11 and five. They made the playoffs. He does not want anyone to feel like they've accomplished anything, that they can rest on their laurels in any way, shape or form. Uh, he says we have to go back to square one. We've got a lot of work to do. And I think that's very important. He's basically tasked everybody in the organization with professional development of some sort. Therefore, you know, when he speaks about himself, even though he was named NFL coach of the year, he's not walking around, you know, with a big T-shirt on that says that. Uh, <laughs> It'd be he, awesome if he was. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to do something to get better or a lot of things to get better in the off season. And when I, I did a story about him as he headed into that NFL coach of the year award that he got last year, he went back and learned from Gary Kubiak and he became a much better coach because of that. And so that is an example of what he wants everyone to do. He'll do it himself, but then everyone else has to go out and figure out how to get way better than they were last year. The square one line I, I thought stood out to me a lot, Scott. That was one I, it was kind of the last thing I sent out to our texters and it, it felt just so much like his approach during the regular season where it was, okay, whatever happened Sunday happened Sunday. Now we're going to move on from it. It's on to the next game. It's very Belichickian <laughs> the way he approached it, but that was sort of the, one of the lines that stood out to me. Yeah. And I think, you know, the fact that he had his entire staff coming back this season and, and the fact that they're so far ahead of, where they were at this point last year, you mentioned how they were still trying to come up with names for things. You know, what are we going to call this? What are we going to call that? And they're, they're past that. And 
uh, what, I think Chris Kiffin uh, interviewed for the Packers defensive uh, coordinator job, but, you know, the staff is back and that's huge when you're trying to build something and you don't have, you don't, you're not shuffling someone in trying to get them up to speed and get everybody back on the same page. You don't have a new core, not necessarily a coordinator, but even a position coach coming in and, and trying to get familiar with everybody. That's, that's not something they're going through this offseason, which is big. And after going through last year, whatever this offseason throws at them, they're prepared, whether it's, you know, virtual meetings again, they've done that. If they're on the field, great. That's, you know, that's a step forward, but this, this Browns just organization top to bottom just seems to be in a great place compared to where it was last year. And this is what life is like when you don't fire a head coach at the end of the season, you know, you, you bring people back and you're not trying to make changes. You're trying to improve on what you did already. And that's a good place to be. I, I want to go back to the, the, the getting better part, because one, one of the things that, you know, he didn't really lay out kind of what that specifically looks like, but I kind of, I guess I kind of tried to get at it. A couple other people kind of tried to get at it. Is it looking internally and kind of self-scouting and seeing what you can do better? Or is it looking externally and watching tape of San Francisco or, you know, whatever Minnesota did this year or offenses that are similar to yours or looking at teams who maybe use a little more 11 personnel, how to, how to kind of work that stuff in if, if that's the direction your offense goes. Is that just a result of continuity, like Scott was saying, the fact that this this team can come back and basically be tasked with, okay, now we're going to take that next step. Is that is that different or is it just normal and we've just never seen it here because we've never had the continuity? I think that Kevin Stefanski is, is very big on not patting themselves on the back and just really emphasizing and driving home the point that Uh, You know, they lost in the AFC divisional round last year, and he wanted them to remember that pain. He wanted them to remember how that felt, because the ultimate goal, obviously, is to win the Super Bowl. And if they're going to do that, he recognizes and he wants everybody else to recognize that they have to get a lot better. So I think what it means is that and I don't know if they will actually divide things up specifically where they'll say, "Okay, Chad O'Shea go spend some time with Lincoln Riley or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if they will be super specific about it or if he will just give everyone carte blanche to go out and bring some new techniques, some new schemes to the offense and the defense, the special teams. You know, I don't know what it's going to look like or or how it's going to look. Maybe we should have asked Kevin Stefanski himself, how exactly are you going to get better as a head coach this year? Who are you going to spend time with? What are you going to do? He probably wouldn't have answered us, right? (laughs) Right. He does not give really very specific answers about those kinds of things, but it does make me curious. Like, what will he do now? I mean, like I said, he spent that time with Gary Kubiak. He's got plenty of other mentors and people like that, that, that he could go pick their brains. I'm guessing that he'll go find somebody new that he hasn't worked with before, maybe in the college ranks. He said, look, we'll steal great ideas from the college ranks. We will find good stuff wherever we need to, and, and we'll go get it, and we'll incorporate it into our scheme. So I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, I mean, they'll look obviously a lot at what the Bills did. They'll look at what the Bucks did. They'll look at what the Chiefs did. But they're also going to go to the college ranks, and they're going to look at what some of those great college teams were able to do. I think he, he made the point though, too, that like evolving doesn't mean 
you know, people are going to see an entirely different offense from the Browns in 2021. He, he said, they're going to, uh, you know, they understand who they are and what they do well. And I think it's when fans think about this offense evolving, they should think about just things built on to what's already there and not so much, you know, the butterfly coming out <laughs> of the cocoon and looking totally different. It's not going to be like that. It's, it's tweaking. It's, it's not, kind of running out of gas in the divisional round of the playoffs when you don't really have any more answers, you know, against the chiefs. It's, it's kind of having that next step available to you. That wasn't there last season. Yeah. So my, my takeaway was sort of that offensive evolution part of it. And I think I'm very curious to see what that looks like because Scott, you're right. You're not going to go into a situation where you're revamping this offense and all of a sudden we're going to see four wide receiver sets all the time. And, you know, they're going to run 11. It's going to be Sean McVay's offense where he runs 11 personnel 70% of the time, things like that. You know, that's almost counterproductive, right? The, the benefit here is you're coming back in the same system and you get to advance within that system. But I am curious to kind of see what adjustments they do make. You know, do we see them based on matchups have a game? And I think we saw this a couple of times last year where they do run 60% of the time in 11 personnel. I'm curious to see kind of what tools Andrew Barry gives Kevin Stefanski to evolve this offense. And I think Browns fans should be excited about that because again, this is just something you haven't had before where an offense gets to come back and you get to make little tiny adjustments in there. And we're going to see it really over the course of 16 games. It doesn't sound like there's going to be some big sea change that we're going to see week one. I think he specifically kind of pointed to that. It's going to be, how do they match up week to week? Well, here's the other thing I think that it's important to note. Kevin Stefanski last year really basically ran Gary Kubiak's offense, right? I mean, that's what it was. And that's what he was going to need to do in his first year as a head coach, his first year as a play caller and full-time play caller here. Uh, He called them obviously in Minnesota the year before, but it was his first time pulling this whole entire offensive staff together. And there was no time to reinvent the wheel. And as you guys both mentioned, they're not going to reinvent the wheel again this coming year. But now Kevin Stefanski has his sea legs here in Cleveland. He knows his staff. He knows his players. And now even uh, himself as a play caller, he can evolve. So what I think that they will do is they might not run as much 13 personnel as they did in the past. Uh, They might go by the personnel that they have. Let's say, for instance, that David Njoku doesn't come back. And let's say, for instance, that they do have some extra wide receivers. And they look at the film and they see that Baker Mayfield performs better when he has three wides out on the field. You know, I think that they will evolve with the personnel that they have. And I think that Kevin Stefanski, as he moves forward, will grow as an offensive coordinator slash as as a play caller because he really only had that one full season in Minnesota as a play caller under Gary Kubiak before he came here. And so therefore, I think he will develop his own offensive identity. I don't think he necessarily has to be Gary Kubiak anymore. I think he kind of needed to be that last year because like I said, he didn't have time to reinvent the wheel. But as he moves forward, he might pull things from other coaches. I mean, he, he worked with North Turner. I mean, that was a completely different kind of an offense. So he's got all different kinds of philosophies running through his brain 
And I think we haven't really seen the, you know, the Kevin Stefanski offense per se just yet. Yeah, I agree with, with when you brought up 13 personnel that like how many running backs and, and tight ends they have on the field. That's where you might see these tweaks. It, it might be a little less three tight ends, maybe a little more two running backs. Maybe that's how you see Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb on the field a little more with one of them kind of filling in one of the tight end spots a little bit, people moving around pre-snap, things like that. It's not going to be like, like you said, Dan, uh, three wide receivers all the time. It's going to be these things within what they already do. And the 13 personnel didn't work out as great as I think they had hoped it would based on how Baker had done previously in that. Changing that around a little bit could could be something that, that you see in, in 2021 for sure. A couple other takeaways. Mary Kay, I know you had kind of mentioned development on the coaching staff and professional development. And, you know, Kevin Stefanski knows all about that. He was in Minnesota forever, right? And wore a bunch of different hats and then eventually climbed his way. Pretty non-traditional way to get a head coaching gig. You usually bounce from city to city until something pops, but uh, he, he managed to do it all in Minnesota. But it seems like he puts a really, he puts an emphasis on professional development. And of course, we heard a little bit about what he's going to do with Callie Brownson as well. Yeah, you know what? Uh, it's kind of the way that he was brought up in, in this coaching profession, uh, mostly by Brad Childress, but he, he basically coached almost every single position. So by the time he, on offense, by the time he became an offensive coordinator, now the play caller, he had done a little bit of everything. He had coached running backs, coached wide receivers, coached tight ends, coached quarterbacks. And that is now what he's going to do with Callie and some of his other coaches. He's going to let them do some other things and let them shine and teach them and bring them along. He has identified Callie uh, as a future NFL head coach. And therefore, in order to get her to that point, she's going to need to really increase her skill set. And so last year she worked with Chad O'Shea with the wide receivers and she loved doing that. I used to, you know, stand out there and watch her throw to the wide receivers and, you know, they loved catching the football from her and she enjoyed working with those guys, Odell and Jarvis and Richard. Well, this year she's going to be working with the running backs. She's going to be working alongside Stump Mitchell. And I think that's really interesting and that'll be great for her. Uh, I, I really think that in order to become a head coach these days, usually the path ends up as a coordinator, as a play caller first, uh, if you're going to be an offensive on the off offensive side of the ball. That's the route that you take. You end up calling the plays and then you become a head coach. So that's kind of the traje trajectory that she's on right now. And it will continue this year working with Kareem Hunt, working with Nick Chubb. And I think that's an exciting development. And you and I have both interviewed her, Mary Kay, and I, mm -hmm. I know that like when you talk to her or and I've heard her talk in like a public setting uh, last year at the Combine, she's, I came away thinking she's like another version of Stefanski because she talks <laughs> very much the same way. She's very deliberate about what she says. She's very sharp. I understand how he might see a little bit of himself and her because of the way just her manner, just the way she goes about things. And, you know, coaching is more about being a head coach. Obviously it's just more about having gone through all the different position groups. You have to be a leader. And that's, I think one of the things that she seems to already have. And now it's get her the experience that she needs to kind of combine with those things to, to get her to that next level. And yeah, I'm really interested to see how, how she progresses here. And it's, it's kind of cool to see that Kevin Stefanski is kind of opening those doors 
and, uh, and giving her the opportunities. I, th I think there's two really cool things about her story too, as it pertains to this year, is she had to basically spend the year putting out fires because it was her, you know, Kevin has given her credit for being the one that had to reschedule things, right? When the facility shuts down, get everybody what they need, you know, when we're getting on Zoom, all of that stuff, right? So she had to deal with a lot of crisis management this year in her role. I do think it's very interesting that he was very specific with us about what he wants her to do, that he's chosen running backs and he's chose, cause she's worked with receivers, right? She filled in as the tight ends coach. I think it's interesting that he specifically pointed out she's going to work with running backs and Stump Mitchell. I don't know that anybody, any of us would have necessarily guessed that was the path, but maybe he's kind of saying, maybe he kind of sees that gap there a little bit. You know, we, we want you to get better now, kind of understanding the run game. I, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm putting words in his mouth here, but you know, maybe that's an area that he wants her to get stronger and, and you, you could learn from worse people than Stump Mitchell. That's for sure. I just thought it was interesting that he gave us that specific nugget kind of based on everything else that he said as, as vague as he was. Yeah. And now the, the one thing that I was a little bit surprised about, and she didn't have this title last year either, but I thought maybe this year, in addition to chief of staff, that he would also give her the added title of assistant running backs coach, because I think then as you move through your career, you can put on your resume. Well, yes, I was also assistant running backs coach, right? So not really sure why they're not doing that. I think that might be helpful. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? I've never paid close enough attention to people moving through the, you know, assistant coaching ranks to know how normal that is. I don't know. I think, you know, the experience is the experience. So whether or not she has it as a title, the fact that she's there doing that job and she has people who can talk to future employers and tell them that, yeah, she was doing this job. That's probably the important part. But I also just think even from the sort of the female coach standpoint, you know, there are some other female coaches around the NFL that are sort of getting some of those position That's coach true. titles. And so I don't know, there's just something that says to me that might not be bad for her to have a position coach title. Uh, it just might open up some other doors for, for some other people. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know. Maybe there's a, a housekeeping element to it, you know, mm -hmm. where they just, yeah. you got to, change things around with her contract or something like that. Or maybe it's, maybe they don't want to put her in that box necessarily for the right. full season or, or what. I don't know. That, that's interesting, but clearly she's someone that he has targeted. I know there's other, there's other assistants on this staff that I think are kind of up and coming young coaches. And the reason that's important is that's sort of how you build a great organization. When you have these young coaches who are really talented and your head coach is focused on developing them, that coaching tree has to start from somewhere. And Kevin Stefanski kind of wants to build his own coaching tree here where, you know, 10 years from now, we're looking at, well, this guy came from Kevin Stefanski and, you know, she came from Kevin Stefanski and all, all these guys, all these coaches come from the Kevin Stefanski tree. It just makes your organization better. And I also think it probably makes young coaches want to come work for you when some of those coaches are good enough to move on. This coaching staff reminds me in some ways of the Bill Belichick coaching staffs of the early 90s. This is a really good coaching staff. There's some really bright young coaches and some great older coaches. You know, there's a mix. There's a really good mix. I've just really been very, very impressed. And they, they all are such great teachers. They're really good people. And 
I don't know. There's just sort of something special about this coaching staff. And I can see why he's excited about the fact that they're coming back intact because as Scott mentioned, it's something to build on. It's continuity. You know, the, the defensive guys don't have to get to know a new coordinator and a new scheme again. Baker Mayfield's got his quarterback's coach back. You know, they can build on the footwork that he learned last year. Chad O'Shea, again, I, th- I thought he did a tremendous job with the receivers. We can never say enough about Bill Callahan and, and everything that he brings and, and stump. I mean, just all, all of them, I could go on and on and on. It just reminds me so much of the Belichick staffs and those guys, all, so many of them went on to do some incredible things. And I think we will be hearing a lot about these coaches in the future. Scott, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but I know one of the other things you took away was uh, about the offseason program and how the, this team's kind of ready for anything, as, as the word Kevin Stefanski loves to use is pivot. I, I'm curious if he didn't get this question, like what's, what's at the top of the list? What are they planning for first? Are they going into this thinking we are not going to have offseason workouts or are they going in thinking that we are and, and that's where the pivot's going to be? I, you know, either way, like they said, they've done it. He, he just said he, he hired a new coach via Zoom, which is something he'd never done before. So he's having new experiences all over the place. But yeah, this team's ready for anything, I think, uh, just like a lot of you know every other NFL team. But uh, the fact, again, that, that this is year two for the Browns with, with him in charge, it's huge knowing what the options are for this offseason. If they can't be with the players, well, all right, they know what that looks like. They know what they can do. And they probably learned a few things from going through the first time that they want to do better. And, you know, if you're on the field, well, then great. It's, it's a regular off season. And hopefully, uh, you, you know, you're, you're thinking things are get ramped up even quicker than they did last year. Cause you're actually coaching people in person instead of through a zoom class. I think I know what JC Treader wants. <laughs> and that's yeah. a lot of virtual off season programming. Although look, I think we did kind of learn this year that while the off season program has value and you can do things in it, if they have a more normal training camp, let's say maybe they tack a week on to tra- an extra week on to training camp to what uh, going back to like the normal schedule where it starts towards the end of July, maybe they throw an extra week onto that, have a more normal preseason, you know, maybe you can have a joint practice, something like that, which Kevin Stefanski said he wants to do. Maybe that's the negotiating tactic because I'll tell you right now, if they want to add a 17th game and no extra bye week the players union is not going to be thrilled if they have to, show up at the facility from April through the end of June. Yeah, you know, I I really think that joint practices are kind of going to still be a long shot for this year. I don't really see how how they're going to do that, especially because there's just still so much uncertainty and it's it's kind of coming up fairly quickly. So I don't know if they're going to be able to do that. He sees the value in it. I guess there is value in it. The players hate it. Uh, I, I can tell you that much. Uh, so they they will probably try not to have that happen. I think coaches are hoping for at the minimum one mandatory mini camp at least, and then training camp. And I, I don't even know if they'll get the mini camp, but I think that's, that's the goal. Maybe a rookie mini camp too. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. This is going to be another weird off season. And I, I do think JC Treader has talked about it publicly, right? He, he wrote about it, and I, I think if the players' union has an opportunity to make some changes here, they're they're going to jump on that. Okay, there we go. Our instant reaction to Kevin Stefanski. You had to wait to hear our instant reaction for a few hours as you're getting this uh, on your phone here in the morning. But that was our instant reaction here about 
uh, an hour after Kevin Stefanski spoke to us today. We're going to hear from Andrew Barry on Wednesday, who I'm sure will be as forthcoming as Kevin was today. So we'll see, we'll see what Andrew has to say to us. Uh, Tim Bielek is going to come up on the other side to talk draft. We talked a little bit about pass rushers with JJ Watt being off the table and then also looked at how some of the other teams in the AFC North might approach the draft here coming up quickly. We're about a month and a half away, right? Or I guess a little closer to two months, but it's it's coming fast. That's for sure. The draft will be here soon. Scott and Mary Kay, thanks for the time. Tim Bila coming up on the other side. I'm back on the Orange or Brown Talk podcast. We are going to talk draft as we do every Wednesday with Tim Bielek. Tim, how are you? Not too bad. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Uh, of course, we had the big news this week. The Browns did not land J.J. Watt. He chose to go to the Arizona Cardinals. So let's start there. You know, we've talked about edge rushers. We've talked about that number 26 pick, but I'm just wondering, did Watt's decision have any impact on what you think the Browns might do in that first round? Maybe I'm different from other people, but I didn't really see it having that much of an impact. I, I say that much because I'm sure there's going to be some if the Browns don't turn around and say, I got, sign a guy like Trey Hendrickson or Bud Dupree or Hassan Reddick or any of those edge rushers available in free agency. What I think it does do is maybe lessens the chance that they'd be willing to take on more of a a project type development edge rusher, like a Jason Oway from Penn state at 26, because I think if you had JJ Watt, you would have ideally signed him to a one or two year contract, giving you time to develop a guy behind him as your third edge rusher. And then when Watt's contract is up, this, that guy slides right into the starting lineup opposite miles Garrett. I don't know if that's necessarily going to happen because I look at most of the other guys in this free agency class. They're guys you probably keep for more than two years or probably three, four, five-year types, more so than Watt, who is kind of seems like more of obviously, like I was saying, the short-term type. So I think it takes away the need for taking that developmental edge rusher. Maybe it frees up other positions just because, again, it just comes down to the long-term commitment. I think if they want to make it with any of those other free agents or like Watt, they want to try and keep it shorter. Does this increase the possibility? Do you think of them maybe looking at a corner in that first round? When I look at mock drafts, I usually see either edge rusher or corner. That's a tough one to answer because we don't know how the trades are going to shake out. We know there's the stuff about Marshawn Lattimore. There's people been talking that they should trade for Stefan Gilmore. So it's going to be interesting where they go with that. I think with corner 26, in my mind, it kind of boils down to if J.C. Horn from South Carolina is there. There's been mocks where I've seen him kind of fall to 26. There's ones I've seen that have him going into the teens. I think if he's not there, I probably wouldn't go corner because I think there's a pretty big gulf between him and the second tier and the next tier of corners in this draft. So I think that's probably more of what that depends on rather than if they make a chase for a free agent corner or a corner already on a contract somewhere. Okay. So let's turn our focus a little bit here to the rest of the division. Of course, we always talk Browns on here, but there's three other teams in the division. They have draft needs. They have draft picks. They're going to get better at the end of April. Let's start from the bottom and let's work our way up the Cincinnati Bengals. Is this all about protecting Joe Burrow at all costs, or is there another direction that they could look early in the draft. I think he got to protect Joe Burrow. We saw how effective he can be when he played last season. He was as probably better than Justin Herbert before Burrow went down with that injury in Washington and obviously not having that quality offensive line. We saw the effect it had to a lesser extent in 2019 with Baker and the Browns. 
obviously Baker didn't have the knee injury. Burrow seems like he's on the right track from the things I read out there. But I think they do need to go off. They do, do need to really invest in that position. They can get a guy like Penny Sewell from Oregon kind of falling into a lap at number five. I've written about him, how at 19 years old, he beat out a couple senior players, including last year's number seven pick, Derek Brown, for the Outland Trophy which goes to the best lineman in college football. This guy's only 20 years old. So I think if, the, if he's there for the Bengals and they take him, they, they got a chance to really shore that offensive lineup for a long time. And then the rest of the draft is just trying to rebuild that defense. Yeah, I wanted to mention the defense because once they kind of figure out that offensive line, whether it's spend some money on it, use some draft picks, it seems like that's where they need to go next because I like a lot of the weapons they have on offense. If they can – if they can protect the quarterback and let him sort of spread the ball around to those guys. And of course, Joe Mixon as well, they have some weapons on offense. It really is that defense that could be an issue, especially if they lose a guy like Carl Lawson. Yeah, definitely. The good news for them and, and for the Browns, like those needs that they have at the edge rusher, there's certainly going to be opportunities there in the draft, especially early in the second round. There could be a guy that falls to him. They got some questions in the secondary, really outside of Jesse Bates and probably William Jackson, there are some questions with that Cincinnati defense. I know they went drafted a couple of linebackers last year. Maybe it's too early to tell on those guys because they were mid round picks, but this is a defense that clearly was far from what it was back when they were making the playoffs in the middle of the last decade, especially with Carlos Dunlap getting there in age, Geno Atkins getting up there in age. It's just time for them to really start rebuilding that side of the ball. Okay, so let's move up now to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Maybe one of the most interesting teams just in general in this NFL offseason. It seems like they are barreling towards some sort of transition. We know that this is a football team that under Mike Tomlin, they don't really lose very often. They don't have losing seasons. Uh, they, there's, there is no such thing as rebuilding in Pittsburgh. But, uh, you know, it sounds like Ben's going to be back there. His contract might look different. It sounds like maybe they want to compete again this year. Where do they go? This is such an interesting team because I don't know. I don't know if there's a position I would look at and say, you know, yeah, they, they couldn't use more help there. Maybe receiver. I know they might lose Juju, but they've got some guys there. Obviously they have TJ Watt, who is a defensive player that you're candidate, but they might lose Bud Dupree and, and some other guys, their offensive line, kind of like Cincinnati, you know, they lost more keys Pouncey. They might lose some other, there's a lot of interesting questions there for a team that I think wants to compete again this year. Of course, no surprise Ben's coming back. When you're owed $41 million, that's a pretty good uh, reason to want to be back for next season. So that, I think, pushes the inevitable quarterback uh, rebuild back, especially in a draft where it seems like a guy like Mac Jones from Alabama, who's who's the fifth quarterback in this class, keeps getting pushed up and up and up the draft boards. There's been videos. Dan Orlovsky's tweeted the last couple of days how he's just a fan of his mental processing and that he could go much further. So I think they're not going to be able to get a quarterback to really get a developmental guy in the first round. Maybe Kyle Trask in the second out of Florida could be an option, but they can go one of two ways. I think with the first round pick, they can go bolster that offensive line. Alejandro Villanueva is also a free agent this year they need some young blood on that offensive line. They could go for a tackle. I've seen guys, guys like Jalen Mayfield from Michigan, Liam Eichenberg. Say Ignatius is only Liam Eichenberg from Notre Dame. <laughs> in that spot to the Steelers, they could definitely use a new offensive tackle. I've been, I've, I've said for a while, they should go running back to get a guy that you can take a lot of pressure off of Ben Roethlisberger by giving, by turning around and giving him 
a guy that can get the ball 25, 30 times a game and just be really dynamic, whether it's Najee Harris from Alabama or Travis Etienne from Clemson, just that dynamic feature running back. So really get, add some balance and take some pressure off of Ben's arm because as we saw, Pittsburgh's offense did not look very Pittsburgh-like. As good as they've been a passing team, we know them historically as a running team. So to see them be dead last in the NFL running the football, it's just simply shocking. Yeah, you read my mind on that. I was going to ask you if maybe your running back could be in play at some point because I, I'm not really big on James Conner. He really kind of only runs the ball well against the Browns and the Bengals. <laughs> You know, the Steelers have sort of, like you mentioned, changed that narrative on who they are over the years. This isn't Jerome Bettis and, you know, all those running backs that came through before him and and they were just pounding the football. But yeah, they need to be able to run the football a little bit. I I think that's still something you have to be able to do in the NFL. So yeah, where where would you go running back if you were the Steelers? Is that something you'd address in the first round or, or are you kind of leaning towards maybe later in the draft, second round, third round? I look at this draft and like I mentioned, Harris and ETN, those are clearly the top two backs. I don't think there's any question about that. It's a fairly deep position because after him, you got a pair of running backs from North Carolina in Javante Harris, Michael Carter, guys who play who play different styles can do a little bit of different things. Williams is more of a power guy. Carter is a pure speed guy, so it kind of depends on who they would want. And I don't know if they would be there necessarily in the second round, but given how dynamic – ETN and Harris are, I mean, if you watch Clemson or Alabama, I know their quarterbacks get the spotlight as they always do, but there's no question both those guys are absolutely special talents. I mean, Harris is a guy that, in talking with Ellis Williams a few weeks ago when they were doing mock draft, he mentioned, obviously, the Derrick Henry comparables are there. Harris is a big guy with a surprising amount of mobility. We saw in the playoff him hurdle one of the defenders from Notre Dame, and I mean, he cleared him, which was absolutely tremendous. I think he's good, but my my pick would be ETN because, as I've said before, I think he's about as perfect a running back as you're going to get. He's got great speed. He's got surprising power for a guy of his size. He can catch the ball in the backfield. He can block pretty well. He's a guy that I think can be a tailor mate, a starting running back from day one. And I think for a Steelers team that that wants to compete, they want to win right now, especially with that defense getting guys back from injury. They're gonna. Like you said, they're in a win-now situation. They might need a guy who can be an instant contributor, and I think ETN can do that. Okay, let's talk about the Baltimore Ravens. Again, so many different ways you could go. There's the obvious. You know, They've, they've tried to address wide receiver in the draft over and over again. It hasn't always worked. They might need a tackle. Orlando Brown wants to play left tackle. He might want out, so they might need to address that situation. And then, of course, you know we know that the Ravens are never afraid to draft a linebacker. Their defense is in pretty decent shape, but they did go and trade for Yannick and Gakwe last year. So certainly edge rusher is something where, where are you leaning with the Ravens early in the draft and, and kind of where they want to focus? I think in some ways they're in a similar position as the Browns and that they're looking for an edge rusher. And like you said, wouldn't mind having a receiver because there's all, all the stuff about Matthew Judon. Does he leave in free agency? Does he stick around? And even still Baltimore hasn't really had that dynamic pass rusher who can win without blitzing Baltimore as we know the last couple of years under Wink Martindale the defensive coordinator they love the blitz they love to bring the pass rush from all over the place I don't know if they might need a guy who could just win one-on-one in three or four man rushes whether again that's a Jason Owe or an Aziz Ojulari from Georgia who may be a better fit in a three-four base and a four-three base but you bring up a good point about receiver 
Baltimore's passing game was simply not good last year. We all know Lamar took a step back. I'm still a believer in Hollywood Brown. I like what he can do, especially with that speed component he has. But I do think they could use a taller receiver to kind of balance things out. A guy that can win over the middle, maybe a Terrace Marshall from LSU kind of fits that bill. To kind of add, to add some balance so you're not just relying on Brown and Andrews to win every all those situations down the field. To have another tall option to help Lamar out. That's that's not a bad place to look. And again, it's a deep receiver draft, so they can go any of the first couple rounds to find a quality option in in the passing game. Which AFC North team, I guess, are you most interested in? Like when you look at when you're really curious about what they might do, which team and you can say the Browns if you want, which AFC North team do you think is the most interesting in this draft? I think it's Pittsburgh because of where they are. It's they're in a very tenuous situation. I mean, you got Ben Roethlisberger who's gonna who's 30, gonna be 39 during the season. I don't know how many more years he's got left. It, we all thought this could have potentially been his last year, but he'll play again in 2021. Their direction is going to be interesting because we know even if Ben leaves, they're still going to have a good defense they can lean on, kind of like what they did in 2019 when they surprised a lot of people. But, of course, being where they are and committing all that, committing those resources to Roethlisberger, they're not going to grow quarterback. So them kind of trying to balance out the idea of winning now while you kind of do have to look to the future. And they're never going to say this. No organization is going to come out and say after, after winning a division, tell like, yeah, we're looking to the future. We're not really concerned about this upcoming season. They're not going to say that they're going to go try and maximize their window now. So whatever balance they can strike, especially picking just a few, just a couple spots before the Browns actually in this draft, that's going to be so fascinating to see where they decide to go with all those options. I, I just realized I said we would go from the bottom up and I put Pittsburgh in third place. That's, that's what I think of the Pittsburgh Steelers, I guess. I was going, I was projecting 2021. That's, that's what I was doing. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, I, I don't blame you. I, I would, that's kind of how I would see it is right now. Pittsburgh can still certainly win the division, but right now I think if you're a betting man, you would bet between Cleveland and Baltimore. It's pretty – at least right now, we'll see how it all plays out in the next couple weeks of free agency and then in two months, how all these drafts look. Yeah, these next two months are going to um, they're going to they're going to be a lot of fun in part because of the draft. All right, Tim, good stuff as always. That'll do it for this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Uh, make sure you all check out Football Insider. Go to Cleveland.com slash Browns. It's the blue banner at the top of the page. And then also make sure you subscribe to our pod wherever you get your podcasts like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen, get subscribed to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. So for Tim here in this segment, it's Scott Patsko and Mary Kay on earlier. I'm Dan Lobby. Thanks for listening, everybody.